What an amazing celebration last week as we celebrated the resurrection and Easter. And just great just to see so many people out. We had even the 55 people went to the sunrise service. And uh, it was 26 degrees when they gathered at 6 a.m. 26. So that's pretty good. I mean, I, you don't get points in heaven for that. But if you did, <laughs> they'd get points. So anybody online, if you were at the sunrise... You just write, I was there in the chat, because you, you should get some credit for that. So, and some of you were there, praise God, saw many people here. Actually, it might be the first time where we saw more people in person than online. So for a year, we've been seeing the online numbers higher than our in-person numbers. But with the, uh, with the outdoor service and with the three services here, we definitely saw more people uh, in person, which was fantastic. What a, just a vibrancy to be together and to worship together, and just a great joy. I know not everybody who wanted to be here in person was able to do that because of the, uh, the continued limitation of, of space, uh, and that still, that still breaks my heart that that's the way it is, but uh, overall, just a very joyful celebration last week. But uh, as amazing as that is, we know that joy is not the only experience that people have on Easter. I came across an article last week on the Gospel Coalition website, and it was entitled, uh, the article was entitled, entitled, Only One Empty Tomb, and it was published on April 3rd. It jumped out at me because I recognized the name of the author, Clarissa Mall, who uh, I was friends with during my high school and college years. Uh, her, and, her and Clancy actually were roommates for a season. Clarissa and her boyfriend at the time, Rob, worked at the summer camp that I worked at. I got to to know them a little bit. And they later got married. They have four children. And then Rob was tragically killed in a hiking accident. And this uh, this is what Clarissa wrote in her article. She said, The first year after my husband died, I wasn't prepared for how hard Easter would be. The hardest part of that first Easter was Jesus' empty tomb. That first painful Easter, I thought a good Christian should rejoice with abandon in the face of grief. I should stand on the promises of Jesus and lift my eyes in unadulterated hope of eternal triumph. I should shout, oh death, where is thy sting? Instead, all I could do was weep for all that yet remains unfinished. On that sunny Sunday morning, I I lamented the curse that is defeated now and not yet. I cried for my beloved husband who still lies asleep in Christ. On that first Easter, I stood at a tomb longing for Rob to come out, but his grave in that quiet cemetery remains unchanged. Only Jesus' tomb is empty. I share that because today we're considering the notion that Jesus heals. We're, in, we're jumping back into the Gospel of Matthew. We, we jumped ahead to Palm Sunday and the, the resurrection narrative. Now we're back into the, um, the main part of his uh, account of Jesus' life. And we have these chunks of these three chunks of Jesus healing people. And when we, when we consider Jesus' healing, we, it raises in us our own desire our own experiences of grief when healing didn't come, our own need for healing now with our own illnesses or those that we love. And I'm looking out in this room, and I know some of you are awaiting test results or you've recently had procedures or have been hospitalized or recovering 
from various uh, illnesses and, and struggles. And we, we want to know and understand this healing because we see over and over that healing is just this big part of what Jesus did when he was here and a part of what he called his followers to do as well and to be part of. So I want to look at this with three questions. One is, what do we see here in these healings? Make some observations. Secondly, what is the point of this? Why do we see all these healings? And then what about us, lastly? How do we understand this for ourselves? Let us pray. Father, as we approach your word, we we come from very different places, whatever we've experienced this week, even what we've experienced this morning. But we know by faith that you are here and that you are good and that you will teach us, that you will push us and motivate us towards that which is good and right. Lord, so we just give ourselves to you. We give this time to you. We submit ourselves to your word. We thank you that your love never fails. And pray in Jesus' name, amen. So firstly, what do we see here? The first thing I see is imperfect people. Each one of these people who gets healing from Jesus approaches Jesus very imperfectly. This first guy, he's a a synagogue leader. Now, a synagogue leader, these are the folks that probably would have been the most opposed to the ministry of Jesus. He was causing the most trouble for them, this whole Jesus movement. The Jewish leaders uh, didn't, they, they saw it as a real threat. And his daughter is not just sick, but she's at the point of death or has died. And now, as a last resort, he goes to Jesus. He doesn't go to Jesus when his daughter starts to get sick or needs healing. It's, she's, she's, she's dead. And as a last resort, his motivation is maybe, this, maybe Jesus, this Jesus could do something. That's not the best motive. The second person we meet is this woman who's suffering from this bleeding disorder, this discharge of blood. And she sneaks up on Jesus. She approaches him from behind just to touch his garment, to, to think maybe there's some kind of magic, something in his, even his clothing, that if I can get close enough to touch him, then maybe there's healing for me. That's a very superstitious faith. That's, not a, that's, that's a very imperfect kind of a faith. Then we meet these blind men, and they're calling to Jesus, Son of David, heal us. Now, in a sense, they did a good job. Son of David is a messianic title. They saw Jesus as the, as the Messiah. But the son of David language is not language that Jesus used for himself. It was, it was language that other people shouted for him. At uh, Palm Sunday, they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. It was, he was going to be the conquering king. He was the one who was going to come in and rule. And so they had this, this thought. And, and Jesus, you know, he takes them aside, and he asks them if, if they believe, they believe. And he heals them. And their very first thing, after they do, when they're healed, they disobey Jesus. He said, whatever you do, just don't tell people about this. And they went and told everybody. Right away. Now, I don't, it's, it's hard to hide. If you were blind, and then you get your, your sight back, it's hard to hide that and, and play that off. You know, I'll pick on how... You know, hey, Holly, hey, how'd you know it was me? You're blind. I'm like, oh, I mean, who is that? I thought it sounded like you walking this way, Holly. You know, it's, you, I have some sympathy for them. And then we meet this uh, demon-possessed man. Now, I've, 
I have some experience with demonic activity and, and understanding of these things. I'm no expert. But when you become demon-possessed, you didn't do a lot of really good things to get in that condition. These are all imperfect people. That's my first observation. But my second thing that I see here is that Jesus heals all of them. He doesn't wait for their motivation to be right or their faith to be perfectly in line or for them to approach him with the right title or the right type of prayer. Jesus heals them all and he restores them. You know, Jesus meets these people where they are with his grace. It's not because they did the right thing. It's because his grace was towards them. And he restores them so fully, just this this woman with the bleeding disorder. It's not just her medical condition. She would have been seen as unclean, uh, ceremonially unclean. She couldn't worship. She probably wasn't able to become married. Or if she was married, this would have been grounds for divorce. Uh, She probably did not have children. I mean, all the things that would have given her social connections were cut off because of this disorder. And now she's restored. This little girl who died, not only is she raised to life, but her family is restored. If you know the, the pain and the anguish of a, of a parent losing a child, to, to see that not happen, to see that undone, such a beautiful restoration more than just health. Giving sight to the blind, I mean, how profound that would be to recover from that. And Jesus accepts their very imperfect faith. He he. He says to this woman, you know, your faith has saved you. He says to the the man whose daughter has died, do you believe? You know, he's calling him to any little bit of faith. This, you know, do you believe, he asks these blind men. And this is actually good news for us. Because if we are to experience the healing power of Jesus, it's not because you did it right. It's not because you said the right prayer or you had enough people praying for the right amount of time, the right words, in the right places, it's, it's not those things. It's purely because of his grace to extend his healing to his people. So that's good news for us, for sure. It's not based on the quality of your faith or your theology. So we see imperfect humans. We see uh, Jesus healing them anyway, and we see different reactions. That's the other observation here is that some people said, we've never seen anything like this in Israel. This is, this is amazing. We see other people who say, uh, this is demonic. Jesus is healing with the power of demons. Or It's very polarizing. You'll notice, though, nobody's denying that he's healed these people. And historically, that's very interesting. Nobody said that Jesus wasn't a healer. It was more of a question of how did he heal? When did he heal? Uh, by what authority? But th- when we see the healing power of Jesus, it forces people to either crown him or kill him when you see this kind of power being wielded out there. So that's what I see. That's what we see here. Secondly, what's the point of this? Well, the point of all these healings is is that Jesus, wherever he goes, whatever he's doing, he's bringing God's kingdom into this world. The kingdom of heaven into the kingdom of Satan, into the kingdom of darkness. And it's a demonstration of his kingdom. So Jesus is, in in three ways, one, he's demonstrating the kingdom's power. He's got authority uh, over physical illnesses. You know, this woman with the bleeding disorder, the Gospel of Luke describes that she had gone to all these other doctors. She had done everything that the world could offer her, and it only made it, really made it worse in some ways. But Jesus heals her with his word, or with, even with a touch. 
But not only what we would call a medical illness, but spiritual illness. This mute man who was because of a, a, a demonic force that Jesus has power in the spiritual realm. And then, of course, raising this girl has power over even death and life. This is a kingdom of power, and Jesus is demonstrating his power and his authority. But we also see that it's a kingdom, he's demonstrating that it's a kingdom of compassion. Verse 35 says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages. He's teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus sees the human condition and his heart is compassion towards it as he's healing, as he's going about. And Jesus is not ashamed to associate with the low position. This, again, the woman who's bleeding or this girl who is a dead corpse, they would, to touch either of those would make you impure, unclean, but Jesus is not ashamed to, to touch and take that girl by the hand and raise her up. He's, he's not ashamed of the touch of this woman, which heals her by his power and, and through faith. That God's heart breaks when people suffer. God sees the condition of a sinful world, and his kingdom is coming in compassion towards that. So it's a kingdom at hand with power. It's a kingdom at hand with compassion. And it's also a kingdom at hand that is destroying sin. It's a victorious kingdom. And what I mean by that is this. Throughout the Bible, throughout the scriptures, we see this very close connection between sin and sickness. That does not mean that every sickness or illness is a result of a particular sin or a specific sin. Hear me with that. Not every illness is a result of a specific sin. Jesus made that very clear in John chapter 9. They, there was this um, a blind man. They said, who sinned? You know, was it him or his parents? And Jesus said, that's not what this is about. But Jesus also said, sometimes that actually is the case. In John chapter 5, he was speaking with a man who he was associating very much his sin and his health condition. So it's not one for one. But all, sin is a res- all sickness is a result of some sort of sin, whether it's the collective sinfulness and brokenness of the world, which, in which our bodies deteriorate and which we, um, we experience the effects of that, or if it's sp- specific things. That if humanity had never rebelled against God, there would be no sickness. There would be no death. That's why when God completes his healing work, we read about it in Revelation 21 and 22, when we see the new heavens and the new earth, there is no sin and there is no sickness and no death and no violence and no brokenness. It's all gone. So where there is no more sin, there is no more of those other things. So sickness is sort of the, the, the visible part of it, but the root underneath it is sin. In, in order to remove the sickness, Jesus needs to pull that out by the root. He needs to pull out the sin. The way that, now of course, the way that God has done that is through the cross. The way that sin is ultimately defeated is through the atoning death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And every blessing and every healing that we experience is a result of his death and resurrection on the cross. So if Jesus had just gone around healing people, 
and he didn't die and rise again, it would just be power. It would just be demonstration of power. But that root would have never been pulled out. And that, that's what he's demonstrating with these healings. So earlier in the same chapter, chapter 9, Jesus, there was a paralyzed man, and Jesus goes up to him, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And people started freaking out. You can't say his sins are forgiven. Only God can forgive sin. You're blaspheming. And Jesus said, look, what's easier? For me to say to this guy, your sins are forgiven? Or for me to tell him to get up and start walking? Because he's paralyzed. He said, I want you to know that I have the authority on earth to forgive him of his sins. Therefore, I tell him, get up and walk and take your mat. And he gets up and he takes his mat and he starts walking. Jesus said, the reason I'm showing you this healing is to prove to you that I actually have the authority to pull out the sin underneath it. And that's what Jesus is demonstrating with all these healings. That's what we see here. Okay, so then that leads to our last question. So what about us? Does God heal today? Can I experience the healing of God today? I actually don't think that this, these texts we're looking at are answering that question. It's really about a demonstration of his power. It's a glimpse of his kingdom, which will one day be known in its fullness, but it's proof that it's, it's true. And by his death and resurrection, we can be certain that it's going to happen. But we still are left with this question about the healing today. So we believe, okay, so Jesus' death and resurrection assures my healing, ultimately. But it also assures a new heavens and a new earth. It assures that I will have a new body. And I have no right to demand that of God now. Again, it will, will know those things in their fullness in his timing. So God has not promised that healing, physical healing will come today or the new heavens and the new earth will be here this afternoon. This is, this is in God's hands in his timing. However, if you are sick or if you are praying for somebody who needs healing in, in, in one way or another. Know that God has the power. Know that God brings his compassion to you, that that breaks God's heart, that healing is not the way that his kingdom is meant to run, and that he's done everything to, to assure that your suffering has, a, has an expiration date, that it will end, and it is certain. Whatever plagues you will end. However, we do believe that Jesus is still in the business of healing people. Physical healing. Because Jesus, when he commissions his disciples to go, he tells them to heal. And even after Jesus has ascended to heaven, his disciples are out healing people. And it wasn't just spiritual, although there was a lot of that, a lot of inner healing that Jesus brings to us and to, to people throughout history, but also physical healing. And we've just... As a leader in the church, I've seen too much. I've seen too many people healed. And I, I have all this, I'm not going to tell all the stories of every time somebody with just terrible diagnosis and then in ways that doctors cannot explain are miraculously healed. We've seen it over and over again. So we pray for healing. John Wimber, the founder of, uh, one of the founders of the Vineyard Church movement, he said this, he said, when we prayed for no one, no one was healed. Now we pray for lots of people, and some are healed. You know, the more we seek God, the more we see it happen over and over again. Again, not just the power of positive thinking. We see things that are unexplainable. 
And we remember that it's imperfect faith, it's people of imperfect faith who Jesus heals. So it's not because we've prayed it right, not because we've done all the right things. And if we don't see the healing, it's not because of a lack of faith. And people will say, well, if you just really had faith, you'd be healed. No. The mystery of why God heals one person and not another, why his kingdom breaks through in this one moment and not another, good luck trying to figure that out. That's in the mind of God. That's his sovereign purposes. But we know it's, it's not necessarily because my faith is better than someone else's or somebody else lacks faith. We just approach him like a little child. He already knows we want the healing even before we say it, yet he calls us you know, to, to speak it to him as a loving father, trusting that he can heal. And not only do we trust him to do it, he's called us to go and bring this to people. So in verse 37 here, Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out his workers into the harvest field. And then Jesus immediately sends them out. And we're going to look at that next week. You know, what is this mission he sent us on and what does it look like? But just for today, to know that it's for all of us, that the harvest field is, is ripe today as it was in Jesus' day. And we are sent into it to bring his kingdom, power and authority and healing into our world. We're, 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 and God loves to heal. And he wants us to bring that to people and lift up other people. And we pray for people. You know, there's times when Again, in, in, in the goodness of God, he chooses not to heal a physical ailment. Oh, by the way, and if he does heal you, it's only temporary. This little girl who he raised from the dead, she then died. You know, this woman with the bleeding, she died. They all, they all, it was just a glimpse of the kingdom. It wasn't the fullness yet. So if you get extra days or a season of health, it's temporary in this sinful world. We remember that. But there's times when God chooses not to heal... And yet people feel so loved and cared for in prayer. They say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm to the end of my journey, but God's people held me up in prayer. And I felt so sustained, even in my illness, from that. And that's our job, that's our mission together. So we, we, we long for the day when God will complete it. In the meantime, we, 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 seek, it, we seek healing and we, we bring it to people as we go. This is how my friend Clarissa ends her article that she wrote. Some excerpts from the end of it. She said, each year we celebrate Easter still holding our breath. We stand beside the empty tomb, and if we're honest with ourselves, it's not enough. This world is still such a mess. Disease and discord mark our days. Jesus' resurrection, the first fruits, has wet our appetites. But as we look around us, we can't help but long for more. We long for Christ, the lover of our souls, to come in glory. We eagerly await the day when the dead in Christ will rise and we shall ever be with the Lord. In each Easter until Jesus returns, God asks us to trust a divine plan of which we only see the beginning. Each Easter since Rob died, I have wanted more empty tombs. Yet God in his wisdom and good time has so far only given me one the most important, first fruits. As we experience another Easter, God invites each of us to trust his plan, his order, his timing, even when we do not understand. He asks us to claim this one empty tomb as the promise of all that lies ahead. 
If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied, Paul reminds us. Take heart then as you wait this Easter. Resurrection and redemption are coming. Let us pray. Father, so many sit before me in home, online, watching right now who desire your healing touch, the healing power of your kingdom to break through into this world for themselves and for those they love. We pray that it would be, Lord. We would pray that we would see many uh, instances of healing, Lord. But we know whether you heal today or not, that ultimately you are good and that you will bring it all to completion. And we do long for that day, Lord. Help us to be people of great hope. And may that hope motivate us to go into our world, to love and to bring hope and healing to others. We pray it in your name. Amen.